Hello, and welcome to Nostalgia Arcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we'll look back on the movies, TV, games, people, and phenomena that we still love talking about all these years later, and ask ourselves why these bits of pop culture still enchant us today. This week, we'll be revisiting... between us. Oh, I ache to smash you out of existence. To drive your cursed face from my memory forever. Yes! Let this be our final battle! In the 1980s, the toy to TV show to movie to toy again to video game merchandising pipeline was in full force and no property exemplifies that better than masters of the universe. Now today we're going to be talking about a particular point on that pipeline, not the toys and not the show, but we're specifically focusing on the 1987 Canon film masters of the universe starring Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella. I'm really excited to talk about this because this was a blind spot for me. I had never seen this movie until uh, studying up for this podcast. So I'm excited our, our guest brought it to our attention. Uh, you remember him from our episode on the Golden Girls, which could not be farther away from this in terms of subject matter. <laughs> um, You're please, right. Yeah, yeah. Please welcome back, Ryan Merlot. Hey, everybody. How are you? I'm so glad you brought this to my attention because I had been looking for an excuse to watch this over the years and I just never did. I, I absolutely loved it as a kid. It was just, it was, I, I was born in 1980, so it was like the perfect, it came out like when I was seven or eight, and it was just the perfect timing, and I was into He-Man, and I didn't know what good movies were at the time, obviously, because I liked this movie. I mean, you know, it's it has its it, it has its corny periods, but it's it's a really good, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, this is a, yeah, this is a canon film, as I mentioned, canon was a film production company known generally for just churning out crap. B-movies. They were definitely, yeah, they had B-movies, B-movies, B-movies. I think it was like Israeli Brothers or something like that 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 started it or something. I, I'm not, I thought I read that. Yeah, it changed hands a, a couple of times. I remember it was started, I think, in the 60s. Um, but it's heyday. You're right. There's at least one Israeli. There's a guy named Menachem Golan who yes. was kind of the, a big driving force behind Canon during its most productive period. They're known for films like, uh, so for example, you've probably heard punchlines like Break Into, Electric Boogaloo. That's a Canon movie. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Life Force is another one that's real weird. Uh, another sci-fi movie. But right. this one, I have to say, for a Canon film is fairly good. Well, and it was they put a lot of money into it too. I mean, it was it was a epic kind of film. I mean, there was a lot of people, there was a lot of extras, there was a lot of, you know, the makeup alone had to cost them, you know, just Frank Langella at, you know, being turned into Skeletor was pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I was going to say the production value on this film 
it's I don't think it's up to scratch with like where special effects generally were in the eighties. Like it's not as good as say, something like Star Wars, but right. But for a canon movie, it's way it you know it's light years ahead of what they normally did. Right, and and basically, if you've never seen the movie, take Conan take Conan the Barbarian and Star Wars. And basically push them together, and that is this movie. I mean, it is literally, you can go through this movie and pick out so many things that they generally ripped off from Star Wars. I mean, it was, it was, and you know, and the funny thing is, is that if you played with the toys, there was a departure from the toys in in a lot of the different characters that were like, Gwildor, who was basically, you know, C-3PO in Star Wars, you know, the kind of the same type of uh, character who kind of was an inventor and, and, and could do a whole bunch of different things and fix anything. And, you know, that was very, uh, you know, and that was not in the in the toys. That was kind of their their uh, uh, part of the movie that that they created. So yeah, I saw that that initially Mattel had a lot more of their kind of like their hands on the wheel. And then over time, as the production went on, I think there was a lot of disputes between Mattel and, and, uh, and Canon. And eventually they kind of said, you just make, make the movie. <laughs> just do it. Right. I well, I mean, I think one of the Mattel's biggest blunders was they had the ability to, to ba- basically, um, buy the rights for Star Wars for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then those days, I think it was you take into uh, modern day pricing, it would have been about three million. But my God, you know what a what a terrible decision to make not to have done that. So He Man was kind of, I think, came out of that. They realized their blunder and they wanted to create something that was somewhat um, marketable, like. Star Wars. Yeah, what you're talking about is this kind of, you know, the thing that basically made George Lucas rich was not the original film of Star Wars, although it eventually led to that. But what he got rich off of originally was he was smart enough to say, I'm a an unproven filmmaker doing sci- sci-fi what looked to probably most people like garbage. So, But he said, I'm going to hold on to the merchandising rights. And then Star Wars exploded and everyone wanted Star Wars toys and and George Lucas looked like the smartest man in the world. Absolutely. And that and those were Kenner toys. And so this sort of kicked off an era of, you know, massive toy you know, toy production lines of casts of characters and for He-Man, this property, the toys came first. They gen- they just came up with all of these characters and then said, "Make a show." Yeah, right. And 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 this movie was kind of the a kind of the uh, yeah, the you know, I don't know, the the uh, personification of those toys and everything. It was and it wasn't. Like, it was interesting when I watched the movie because it, it deviates a fair amount from oh, the it show. Oh, it, yeah, it, absolutely it does. Yes, yeah, 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 it does. So, like, I kind of had a similar experience with this as I did. I, I talked about this when we did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, the, yeah. T, the TMNT movie is good, but I remember as a kid going like, oh, like, there's a lot of like core elements of the TV show that are not in this. It feels sort of stripped down. And this has sort of the same thing to it. Like there were things from the show I was like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do this character. I'm like, oh, he's just not in it. That's how they're going to no. do it. Yeah. Right, right. And well, I mean it, it, like the the um, Skeletor sends out a mercenary group and they it's 
other than the Beast Man, they totally created the like the bald guy with the swords and Karg and I mean all of those guys were not in the toys. They just kind of created them out of nowhere. Um, and so, it, yeah, there was a lot of, I mean, Evelyn was obviously, she was part of the toys. Um, Skeletor was, He-Man was, Man of Arms, Tila, they were, they were all, but then, then you had this earth component, you know, the, the toys were set in Eternia and then in the movie they go to earth and they meet Courtney Cox and, um, who played Julie and then Kevin, you know, there, so there was a, there was an earth component to that that never happened in the actual star, you know, the He-Man world. Yeah, at that time. there is, I believe there are in the show and it's been a long time since I watched it, but there are some little connections between earth and Eternia where the action of the show all takes place, this magical planet. I remember if you listen to my other sh- uh, podcast, a podcast by Evil, we did an episode where Skeletor came up and we talked about this He-Man Christmas episode, which was all about uh, these two Earth uh, kids who are somehow transported to Eternia and have an adventure there. And this is the inverse, where our the, the team from Eternia, the basically good guys and bad guys, end up going to Earth to try and chase this MacGuffin. And I right. I wondered how much of that was like, well, we have a limited budget, so we can only do so many scenes in Eternia. If they go to Pasadena, right. <laughs> we can yeah, save it's much a lot easier. of money. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I mean, and I yeah, I don't I don't know and a lot of it, you know, the a lot of the Eternia scenes were very sort of kind of B looking. You know, and then the Pasadena were much more modern looking when they were in in the Earth, or you know where wherever they were in Earth. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it, it's definitely. See, I didn't I played with the toys, but I didn't watch any of the cartoons or anything. I just watched the movie, and I think the movie for me was kind of the visual of of the action figures. Oh, that's really interesting because I, I you know yeah I, I, I was going to ask how much. Uh, how much you watched the the cartoon? I guess not at all. I didn't. No. You know what's funny is that I went very very quickly from He Man to GI Joe, and I watched all the GI Joe, um, uh, you know, the cartoons and everything. But I still always went back to He Man. This, uh, you know, the Masters of the Universe movie with Dolph Lundgren and everything. So, yeah, it was it was. I loved it. Did you uh, Did you spend any time with Shira? Um, I, I didn't, you know, I did watch, uh, do do you remember Red Sonia? Yes. That was kind of, yes. Okay. So, so Red Sonia, Conan the, uh, Conan the Barbarian, there was a lot of that kind, there was a lot of, uh, uh, it was very referential. I guess this movie was referential to those types of, those types of movies with the swords and the, you know, I mean, if you look at Dolph Lundgren, he looks like Conan the, you know, Barbarian. I mean, he's got this, with the swords and I mean, he's not using guns. He's using, I mean, there's a barbarian aspect to him that I think is different, that really differs from Star Wars. So there is a lot of other, it's not just a ripoff of Star Wars. There are different elements that are brought into this movie that you can see from different things at the time. Yeah, I had the the immediate impression. So when you start the movie, we, we start off in Eternia. 
At the center of the universe, at the border between the light and the dark, stands Castle Grayskull. For countless ages, the sorceress of Grayskull has kept this universe in harmony. But the armies of darkness do not rest, and the capture of Grayskull is ever most in their minds. For to those that control Grayskull will come the power. The power to be supreme. The power to be almighty. The power to be masters of the universe. Like in media rats, like it's like oh, Skeletor's already taken over everything. It's war torn. Yes, he man yes. is like like we don't have a prologue. We don't have an act one. We're like we start this movie in act two, where everything's yes, gone. We to have shit. no clue. Yeah, we have no clue what happened beforehand. Right, uh, but the, those first few scenes in Eternia, where you see like you see the um, castle Grayskull, you see kind of the surrounding environment, the village, uh, like you know, the, right. The, uh, the off-brand uh, Star Wars stormtroopers running right through everything. Yeah, but you see the war-torn uh, kind of desert landscape everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and we're as soon as I saw all that, like, yes, the the stormtroopers jump out immediately, and you go, okay, that's Star Wars. The design is so Ralph McQuarrie, but the yeah. the other stuff was like, yes, like immediately, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm seeing a lot of visual reference to Conan the Barbarian and uh, the Dark Crystal. Like, uh, yes, we reminded me yes, of that too. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, it, it it absolutely did, and um and then you know there's there's just so many different uh you know the 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 blasters even even to where in the beginning where Skeletor and He Man they first uh, you know, collide in that first scene where they escaped Gwildor's uh, little den and and went to Grayskull. Um, if you notice, like in, in Star Wars, the Emperor had the, his royal guard who was dressed differently than the actual stormtroopers. Skeletor has that too. So there's so many different – if you really look at – there are so many uh, references to Star Wars. It's very, it's very interesting. But, um, but it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's just – I guess because I was born in, in 80, this just seemed to, as a kid – uh, stick with me bet more than Star Wars, I'm, and I'm not exactly sure why I liked this so much better. But yeah, I can't. I was can't speak to that because, I, like I said, I haven't seen this movie until now. But the, the visual reference for this, like, there's a certain look to '80s fantasy films. You know, oh yeah, th- this is definitely of a piece with not only Conan but with things like the Neverending Story. There's a certain look to an 80s fantasy film that I really like. And I don't know if that I do too. I don't know if it's nostalgia, but there's something about the way that it, it it feels unnatural and ethereal in a way that's really cool. Maybe it's the use a large use of matte paintings, um, the film grain, but there there's something about it that feels like I really am being transported to another world that oddly I think more modern fantasy films um lose because they can do so much with realism it just it doesn't feel like a a fantastical place like my favorite movie of all time uh is the lord of the rings and i think lord of the rings is right rides that line where like it looks it does it It does yeah it it does it looks very realistic the you know all the the special effects are good but it still feels like i'm in a, a, a magical place middle earth feels like a fantastical world 
Whereas I think something more modern would just feel like, okay, it's a bunch of green screen shit. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of in between the, you know, the, the part Hollywood where everything was on a set and, you know, you, to this where there was technology injected, but it still was very, very, I don't know. It, it was still there was a realism to it that I think nowadays, and I agree with you with Lord of the Rings. I mean, you have an actor. I mean, if I I've been to um, where they actually shot Lord of the Rings in New Zealand, and it's literally it feels like you're there. You know what I mean? It, it's it's a realistic place. It's kind of there's a, that realism there that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I love these old practical film techniques. Because there's something cool about the idea of like, you know, we had to do this the hard way. <laughs> you know, we couldn't just, you know, you know, right click for Magic Castle, you know. Right, you had- exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you watch a, if you watch an old Western, you know, the the uh, the backdrop, you have the backdrops that, you know, go They're obviously painted backdrops and there's no depth to them. But, and then you then you kind of move on to this, which is kind of in the middle, where there is a lot of. I think I mean there is technology in it, but there's still it's it, I don't know. Especially looking back on it today, you can see how amateur it was. It it is looks today, but it's it's cool. There's something there's something intrinsic about that that I think a lot of people you know kids today watching that might not be as nostalgic about it. No, I think they never dead. They'll think it looks like cardboard, but I like how it's kind of scrappy. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, like, I don't know about your kids. If they, do you think that they would actually like this movie? If you know, like Ben in a, in a couple of years, or you think this is, you think that this generation now has moved, moved beyond that, and they they wouldn't appreciate kind of kind of the the uh, sights and sounds of of you know masters of the universe I guess. Well, I don't know if they would like this movie specifically. Um, I you know I've tried to get them to watch certain eighties movies, fantasy movies, and there are some they do, they both love Labyrinth. Okay, that's yeah. That's, okay, okay, that's okay. in this mold. They bet yeah, and and Ben likes the Princess Bride. So, I was going to say the Princess Bride is a great, you know, that's a that's a great, and the Never Ending Story I think is a another one that's in this, uh, you know, in, in this kind of uh, era yeah. of of movies. Well, we should talk about Dolph Lundgren a bit since he is the the anchor. For yeah, this. absolutely. Um, interesting dude because he seems like such you know a a slab of meat. Uh, in this movie and in like Rocky Four, which is where most people probably know him best. Yes, Ivan yes. Uh, but he right. is. I mean, like, I mean, he is like a master's in chemical engineering. Like he's not stupid at all. And well, no, know. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's his English is you know he's obviously I don't know where he's from. Is he German or maybe Swiss or something? I don't know. I think he's but, Scandinavian. Austrian. Is he Scandinavian? Okay. I think. Um, but he, no, yeah, you can definitely tell that he, he is a smart man. I'm not sure a great actor, but definitely, definitely, definitely a smart man. And I think that there was definitely a shortage of 
body oil after this movie because of how much <laughs> how much they use there was like a, the, the supply chain had to be like reinstated after this movie because every scene he's like dripping in body oil i don't know how yeah i mean the man must have uh, yeah a, a ton was used a ton of uh oil was used in this movie he, let's put it that way he's about as shiny as the action figure he's based on yeah Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's like there's like a plastic about him that yeah, I mean it was and uh yeah, I mean it it was uh it's and then, you know, um and of course Courtney Cox who went on to a lot of, you know, great uh, on friends and everything else. This was kind of I think this was like her second big break. Her first one was I think she was in a music video of yes, some sort. She, but, she was in the music video for Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark. Okay, well there, yes, and then this is kind of her second, uh, for you know, kind of her breakout role, I guess. And she, I, I thought she was good in it, actually. Yeah, she's very good. She's very watchable. Uh, I I like her character. It's it was again setting aside the sort of weird choice to have all the characters invade Pasadena. Um, <laughs> yes, I think she's a good addition. She adds a lot, and I'm glad they don't yeah. make her like a romantic interest for. For he man, that would be weird. I think. Uh, yeah, especially because there's definitely you could tell a human. I think there's a dad daughter vibe going on there, and that would be kind of weird if there was a, any sort of. Uh, I don't know. Our only hope of defeating Skeletor is to find the cosmic key. Now those creatures were after you for a reason, Julie. Have you seen it? It's this large. It has lights on it. Wait a minute. I have seen that. My boyfriend and I found this thing that had all these patterns of light and this music coming out of it. That's it. Where is it? Kevin has it. He's in terrible danger. Let's go. I don't even know if He-Man... I mean, I think that there was a sense that this could be a kind of a toss to to the gay community in a lot of ways because in the movie... There was no, he had absolutely no love interest. And there was a lot of women around him, a lot of pretty, you know, Tila, I thought she was very pretty. Uh, Courtney Cox was pretty. I mean, there was a lot of, and all of the, at the end, you know, uh, the uh, the the uh, policeman was surrounded by beautiful women and He-Man kind of seemed uh, unattached in a lot of different ways. So maybe that was kind of a, t- maybe that was intentional. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly you can make a lot of jokes about all of his, you know, leather bound <laughs> outfits. Yes, yeah, but yeah, yeah I mean, he is he, sexless in the movie for sure. He, you know, he's very just like chivalrous. That's his thing, right? I mean, he'd be he. I mean, he. I've seen people in the Castro district that I mean, literally look. I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> I mean, it's like a dead ringer. So who knows about uh, about about that? But um, yeah, I mean, Dolph Lundgren. He was, I. I think he was good for the the role. I think maybe other people would dis- disagree. I thought he did a good job. I mean, I mean, it's this this uh, movie was an absolute failure box office, and I think it got like one percent on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. But I loved it as a, as an eight year old. So I thought I thought everybody was good. I thought Frank Langella was great as Skeletor. Too. Yeah, we we got to spend some time on on him because he is. I mean, just chewing the scenery, and he's so good. And and famously, he th- this he said this is his favorite role he's ever done. 
Really? I did not know that. Yeah. And we're talking, this, wow. this is a man who was nominated for an Academy Award for, yes. uh, for playing Richard Nixon. So not a terribly dissimilar character, but, um, he, <laughs> yeah. but like he heard the story was that his son, who was, I think, roughly, you know, probably four or so at the time was a huge fan of the cartoon and he would be running around their house, you know, going, I have the power. And he yeah. saw them. So when the, the call came in, he was like, yeah, of course I'll do it. My kid's going to love this. Absolutely. And I mean, he was so good. Witness this moment, T-Man. This moment when the powers of Grayskull will become mine for eternity. Our lifelong battle is ending at last in the only way it could. Holosphere standing by. When the Great Eye opens, the people of Eternia shall see you kneeling to me just before you die. I'll never kneel to you! Yes, you will! Yes, you will! Or I shall wreak unforgettable harm upon you. I, I mean, and those were the days where, where makeup, you know, kind of the, the Star Trek days where there was no CG. I mean, he, I don't even know how long he had to sit in a chair and get his makeup done every day, but it had to be hours because he had prosthetics. I mean, all of that type of, it had to, he had to be sitting there for, you know, I don't know, five, six hours a day just to get ready for for his shoot yeah and he works perfectly i think as a live action uh skeletor because the cartoon skeletor voice is very like yeah he man yes 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 yeah that would not work in in live action no and even though he was very very much uh i think uh referential to the emperor in star wars i think he was different enough his face and everything like that and i think he did kind of he 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 separated himself even though it was so obvious i mean up down to his clothing and his cloak and everything was so referential to the to the emperor but he did a really good job of, I think, differentiating himself from that role. I think partially because for for Emperor Palpatine is, I don't want to say he's a passive character, but in large part in Star Wars, first of all, he only appears really in the in the Return of the Jedi, just counting the original trilogy at this point, and and for the most part, he's sitting there letting Darth Vader kind of do all of the dirty work until the end. And Skeletor is much more like, I'm in the mix. I'm the one zapping everybody, you know, frying people, you know, do, right, doing right. A, you know, showing he's formidable. Right. I mean, he was more, even though he was, he was the emperor, he definitely was more of a Darth, I mean, kind of played the, more of the role of Darth Vader because he was definitely in every aspect of the movie. I mean, you know, he was definitely in charge and he was the front line guy. And, uh, yeah. And you can see, you know, he commands these guys by fear. Uh, and and it, oh, you know, he's yeah. really running a cult. And uh, it's, oh. it's cool. Right. It is cool. I mean, and then, you know, the cool thing that I love about, and I, I am a huge history buff. The thing that I love about Star Wars and this movie as an adult looking back is how many connections to historical type things that that these have i mean if you look at star wars the nazi imagery that 
that George Lucas used in Star Wars and this movie you can you can see so many different different historical um propaganda that they that they use to you know further this movie is is interesting i think yeah you know and i so i like one of the cool byproducts of kind of cutting out that first act and i don't know if it was ever written and cut but it just feels like oh shit this movie like we're already like you know hurtling down the freeway when the movie starts Right. And what's happened is Skeletor has gotten his hands on this, uh, what they call the Cosmic Key, which is this, it's about the size of a blender, but it's this like metal thing covered in like scales almost that uh, through the use of harmonics is a teleporter. It can open up a portal to anywhere in space and time. Right. And yes. he's used that to conquer Eternia, but there is one more of these devices. There's the prototype for it. So He-Man lead with Man-at-Arms and Tila go to visit the dwarf uh, Gwildor who created it. Uh, and with him, they, they, he d- dredges up his prototype and uh, basically the, through a series of mishaps, they, they wind up on earth and they are separated from it. And so they spend a lot of the movie trying to find this, uh, this key that will allow them to go back to Eternia and try and wrest control from Skeletor. Uh, I crammed a lot in there, but uh, I want to talk about Gwildor for a bit because he, he's probably my favorite character in the movie. Oh yeah, I mean he adds he adds so much comedic, you know, value that I, I yeah I, I I love him. I do too. Yeah, and again another make uh, intense makeup job. Uh, he is yes. he's played by uh, uh, an actor named Billy Barty who is uh, a little person, and I was watching this and going like, why do I know that voice? I know that voice. And he's one of these guys that, like, you know, he he was in whenever they needed a little person, they they'd often bring him in, right. And uh, the one I remember him from is uh, the Weird Al film UHF. He's in that. Uh-huh. He's a small. Yes. He's a, a character named Noodles in that movie, and he's he just has this great comedic timing where some people that I've heard this, they were like, well, some people say funny things, and other people say things funny. And right. a good example of the latter is someone like Christopher Walken, who, like, doesn't matter what you make him say, he somehow in his weird cadence and choices, non-funny things become classic and hilarious. And I Absolutely. Feel like, and I feel like Billy Barty has a little of that in him, too, where, like, on paper, I don't know how many of his lines are funny, but he's so, right. his delivery is so just endearing and good. She tricked me. She stole the key. Gwildor, can this device of yours get us to Grayskull? Certainly. To the sorceress? Those were the first coordinates I calculated before she came. <sighs> okay. Oh, but we can't, we can't. If we disturb the gravitonic waves, Skeletor's key will locate us. <laughs> Sounds like he's already located us. Order, to the point! And yeah, and actually, it, what's really funny is is he he was on an episode of Golden Girls, but oh. uh, 
yeah, he uh, he played um, when Rose fell. She fell in love with this uh, this little person who was a doctor in her office. And anyway, she had a dream, and he was he was his uh, the father. So and he was great in that episode. But um, but yeah, no, he and you know when he comes to to the United, like when they uh, jump from Eternia to the U.S. Um, you know, obviously they have never seen anything on the planet Earth and a cow comes over and he starts trying to talk to the cow. And I thought that was a really funny, uh, he, he did a, you know, kind of a funny part of the movie. Um, and, uh, his, uh, you know, eating the chicken and all of the different things that he had never done because they, you know, they lived on a different planet and now they're in on Earth yeah, he definitely added a comedic value that was intrinsic to that movie. Yeah, I think I think without him, the movie would would not work. Honestly, he, the the element that he adds of kind of just the lightness, the humor that is, and and kind of just the warmth too. That character is kind of a very sweet character. Um, he yes. does so much heavy lifting because I don't I don't think that Man in Arms and, and Tila bring that, and, and He Man is. He doesn't really talk a whole lot, to be honest. And I don't know if that's because, no. because of Dolph Lundgren no. not knowing English that well at this point or what. But Well, um, yeah, and, yeah, Matt in Arms and Tila were kind of – I I don't know. I mean they they were – they play a much bigger role in like the – I feel like the uh, the action figures than they did in the movie. But, um, but yeah, I know he's great. I thought he was – yeah, he's definitely by far my favorite favorite character in the movie. And I like the cosmic key as a MacGuffin. I guess I should define what a MacGuffin is if people don't know. Um, a MacGuffin is a, is a movie-making term for an object or a place or a, uh, a thing that drives a movie plot because all the tr- characters are trying to get to it or get their hands on it. So the classic one would be the Maltese Falcon. In that movie, everyone's trying to find the thing. And the point of a MacGuffin usually is... It doesn't matter what it is because all that really matters is that the character's desire for it drives the plot. Absolutely, yes. The the arc from Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Same thing. But what I like about this as a MacGuffin is it's also functional. You know, it actually has a purpose in the movie as opposed to just being, let's go get the object. Right. And and I think it's a really cool MacGuffin and the fact that how they make it, uh, you know, it's both music, it's, it kind of, adheres to every all of your senses you can hear it you know it's musical it's vibrant it's i don't know it's it's a definitely a cool macguffin that's a perfect yeah i mean it's 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 cool and it's a physically interesting prop like as as a movie prop i think that's a cool looking just thing to just sit on a shelf because it's got all of these i called them scales i don't know what else to call them but they're buttons i think i don't know if they're buttons or they're like in each button plays a different Melody, but, kind of. But they also like kind of like like clockwork. They sort of like move and kind of articulate in different. Oh ways. yeah, then yeah, the, the little like sharp speed. Yeah, the things that come up. Yes, yeah, like yeah, yeah, saying, yeah, those, they, yeah. They sort of look like fish scales, but um, it, yeah, it's very hard. To, you have to just Google a picture of this thing. It's very hard to describe what it looks like, but it, yeah, it just has a cool look to it. And you're right, the characters like Kevin is a musician. He mistakes it for some kind of a you know a weird synthesizer. Yeah, from Japan at the time that I guess I guess the Japanese were making like very cool things in 1980, and uh, this was something that that they thought was Japanese at the time, and um, and it kind of 
they found it in a cemetery and they thought, oh, well, this is so cool. And, you know, they, they were they were musicians and you start pressing it and these awesome, you know, musical notes come out. And it, obviously for any musician, I think that's another thing. If you're a musician watching it, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, this would be so cool to have. Well, because not only does all sorts of interesting sounds come out of it, but then it generates all these like you know, basically like these nebula looking light shows. Lights. Yeah, yeah. it's like a light show. It's like a. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? <laughs> I've seen these before. You have? Yeah. It's Japanese. Oh, no, 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 no. I I don't think so. Here, look. Press a few of these buttons. Go ahead. Huh? Now press that red button in the front. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, I guess you've seen one. Uh, you've seen them all, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very very cool. So um, yeah, and then we get kind of this this middle part of the movie, which is essentially our fish out of water attorneys are introduced to Kevin and Julie, and they're you know they they realize pretty quickly that Skeletor is going to find where this thing is. Or try to find it, and in so doing, likely kill them, and uh, do you know, do anything to get his hands on it. So it's sort of a this kind of cat and mouse chase sequence that sort of lasts the the bulk of the middle portion of the movie. Right, and it's it's a you know, and I think that's another thing that you can relate to if you know you being you know living in a suburban you know, lifestyle, can you imagine seeing these people who all of a sudden show up and they have such a different lifestyle, you know, shooting, shooting blaster guns that, you know, with lasers and all this stuff. I think that that also adds kind of intrigue into the movie because you can definitely put yourself into, into the situation where, oh my gosh, I'm this cop Lubick or I'm Kevin or Julie who are high school students. And can you imagine all the stuff that's happening? Yeah. I, I like Lubick. Uh, so this is a character. He is, yeah, he's the cop uh, who is, I think just his plan is just to arrest every person he sees. Because, <laughs> yes, like, yes, 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 yes. He is like the stereotypical cop who's like a total, excuse my French, but dick, you know, kind of the... Well, he's a dick, and he's this is an actor who's really good at playing a dick. Most people would know this actor best. He's one of the guys in the original Top Gun. He's like one of Maverick's superiors, who's the bald one, who's giving him shit. He's that guy. And uh, he looks a lot like Donald Pleasance, but is not. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just really funny to me. I don't think that Julie and Kevin and the good attorneys ever commit a crime in front of him, but it just seems like he's just after no. them anyway. Like they're weird. I'm, no. I'm yeah. Take- yeah. Well, I mean, he, he shows up at this fire that that's caused, you know, by the, by the bad guys trying to get this key, they burn down the school and then he, he's just, he's like, focused on these kids and then all then he actually sees that these kids aren't lying all of this stuff is going on you know these people from a different planet are out to get them and it's it's uh you know and then and then he ends up going back to Eternia with them and decides hey 
you know, screw America, screw uh, the United, you know, the United States, screw the uh, Earth. Earth. I'm staying here. I got it so much better in attorney. You guys can go back. I'm staying here. So, I mean, he's a great, yeah, he's another kind of um, comedic part of the movie as well. You, what's the poet position? Somebody tell me what the hell's going on around here. I feel like I'm in the Twilight Zone or something. Louie, this is for real, all right? Just get out. Hey, somebody takes hot shots on Louie. All right, speakers, you want to play games? Yeah, and I like a, he's part of that long tradition of uh, the cop who's always wrong. Right? Yes. No matter yes. no matter yeah. what his instinct is, it's always the exact opposite. Uh, my, right. my I think my favorite version of this is Dennis Franz in Die Hard Two. Like just every scene with him in that movie. If Bruce Willis says we need to go left, Dennis Franz says, "Hey, I know what I'm talking about. We go right," and of course he's wrong. Yeah, when he brings in the guys who ended up turning in in Die Hard Two, the the soldiers who end up being the bad guys, he brings them in, and yeah, 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 exactly. It, it, he's he's constantly he's he's definitely not Columbo. Let's put it that way. Who usually is right? He's the yeah. anti Columbo. Yeah, he's the anti Columbo. Although yeah. at least Lubick here in this movie, he has his hero turn at the end. He comes around, but for the, but until that point, yeah, he's he's Mister Reverse Barometer. Right. And then and then he's like in yeah, and once he once he finds this this great land in attorney, he's like, Man, I don't want to be a cop anymore. I am happy here. I'll forget my pension and just throw it all away. I'll just stay here with the space babes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I, I thought actually that the kind of the well, there's sort of two action climaxes in this movie. There, there's sort of there's a set there's the set piece with the fire that you, you touched on. And right. then there's this like battle in the streets where you know Skeletor and his men, minions are all on these like flying uh, or hovering machines, for lack of a better word. And He Man winds up on one of these flying discs, kind of like zooming around through the streets. Like that whole sequence, I thought was like, oh, they they actually Canon spent some money on this. This looks pretty good for 1987. Yeah, the the Air Centurions, who were the 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 people who worked for Skeletor, they they kind of flew around and looked for for He Man, and yeah, when they're on the, they're like discs. They're like standing on these. Discs yeah, they're like discs. Floor. And I'm trying to remove. Isn't there a movie, uh, Silver Surfer or something like that? That kind of there's there's another character recently that kind of flies on a disc. Is that the Silver Surfer? Well, yeah, well, the Silver Surfer flies on a surfboard-looking thing. But yeah, so, some sort of a similar idea. Something like that. But um, yeah, and he flies around, and that was really cool, I thought. Yeah, he goes through and starts, you know, they had kind of a chase scene, and that and I thought that was very, very cool. And then when they're in the um, the music shop, and they're all shooting, and he, I mean, that was a really cool scene as well, I thought. I think, yeah, the, the parts where the movie really works best is where it sort of feels like my action figures have come alive. And yes, this yes. that scene of, like, He-Man and these guys on these flying discs fighting each other, you might as well have just reduced the sound effects to just pew, 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 because that's what was going on in my head. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, abs- absolutely. And even... At the end, where they have the final climax, where they're 
where they, you know, get back to Eternia and they're shooting all the, the guards and everything. I mean, that was that I used to play reenact that scene with my action figures because that was so cool to me. That was my favorite scene in the movie, the end, where all of them were just shooting and it was it was just one big, you know, uh, target practice between all of them. It's it's very chaotic. By that point in the movie, so Courtney Cox gets uh, seemingly fatally injured and the the plan is we have to get her back to Eternia, free the trapped sorceress, who hopefully will be able to heal her. But in doing that, He-Man is captured by Skeletor and uh, held captive while he uses the cosmic key to uh, absorb all the power of the universe and become the bat. And he, like... His costume, I love that idea of like his costume. He goes from like regular Skeletor to Mega Skeletor. You know what it reminded me of? Have you ever seen um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China? Yeah. When the guy, when the the bad guy, the sorcerer goes from the wheelchair guy to the actual big guy at the end. Right. That was kind of the same, kind of the same um, thought, I mean, kind of the same thing where he transforms to an even more powerful bad guy. Yeah, that's a very much a trope where, yeah, the the bad guy kind of levels up into like, uh uh-oh, it's the the extra bad version of this character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then of course he man is able to eventually get his sword, say his catchphrase and they duel. And I love the way this duel is shot, but I know, do you know why it looks the way it looks? I have no idea why. So this was a money problem. The apparently for some reason, Mattel was not paying their share. I mean, they were subsidizing this movie and they weren't uh-huh. paying on time. Why? I don't know. They were a perfectly, you know, legitimate, um, solvent, solvent, solvent. Yes. Uh, you know, mega yeah. corporation, but for some reason they weren't paying on time. And really? so they literally did not have the budget like to pay every, like all the crew they needed to shoot this, uh, duel fight, this climactic duel between, he-Man and Skeletor. So they ended up with a, uh, you know, a skeleton. Very, sh- yeah, very short. It was way shorter than I thought it was going to be. Well, not only is it short, but the way it's shot is it's very much in the dark. And you can sort of, it's all sort of just lit by their swords um, clashing. And it, so it feels like this great artistic touch. But what's actually happening is we only have enough money for like 
a skeleton crew and we can't even turn the lights on. <laughs> so we're going to make do. And it's like, yeah, oh, it's the yeah, most interesting yeah. looking thing in the movie. That's, that is, that is, I did not know that, but that, that makes sense because it definitely, definitely looks different than any other part of in that. Cause that's part of that mega scene at the end. And uh, that part was very different looking as far as cinematically, I thought. So that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it's a cool duel. I think you know it, it's tough to to choreograph a fight, uh, you know, sword fight, and make it look right. compelling. Um, right. And I thought this was well done. I you know especially because Skeletor is not really a sword combatant. He kind of has that big. Staff. That staff. Yeah, he has that staff. And, uh, you know, it was... And then he falls into that bottomless pit that is so reminiscent of other... I think It's literally... Something... That is the Palpatine going down the shaft Yes, shot. exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, I mean, it's, and it looks exactly the same almost. But it but it was... Uh, you know, it's, it's cool. And then um, in the movie... Um, Julie, who's placed by Courtney Cox, her mom and dad die in a plane crash. So they're able to use the key to go back to before her parents died. So she's able to stop them from going on the plane. So she saves her parents at the same time. It's kind of a, kind of a cool ending where, you know, she, it was so much sadness in the movie. And then she's able to go back and how, I mean, and so much of how many how many of us wish we could go back in time, you know, 10 minutes that we could have done something different and change altered our, you know, altered events that happened. And she was able to do that. Yeah. So that was really cool. It, you know, it, that was really cool. It's the only time travel element in the movie. Um, it is. Because they don't. Yeah. It's not like everybody goes. If they just send her back to. This right. Time and Kevin. Before, and Kevin, I guess. Yeah, and Kevin, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but you don't want to think about it too hard because, like any good time travel story, if you start thinking, "Hey, wait a minute," if she saves her parents, <laughs> then by the time she catches up to when the Eternians show up on Earth again, does she know? <laughs> shouldn't yes. the whole thing play out differently? And then what if Skeletor wins? And then her parents die. Like the universe explodes. Uh, <laughs> like, I actually, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I didn't think exactly through that I now that you're saying that but yeah I uh I could see where you're saying because I guess it would I see I didn't know if I see I thought that no you're right because it came it, they went back to right before they were in the plane so yeah I then this whole thing would repeat itself and, and potentially play out differently that's the fun stuff about time travel is like you you know the the, the good the, the thing about any time travel story is you have to work out causality and decide yes is is this a world where we can change things with time travel or is it the kind of thing where all we can do is like preserve the timeline because no matter what we do the outcome is already determined that's a that's it's a very good point it's like you know it's like you think about like you can time travel in your head right and do if you know these thoughts experiments of like oh well what if i i never met my wife and I would have would I have met somebody else would like how would my life be but you realize that like if I play out any like if I if I went back in time and I changed the slightest thing I could irrevocably murder my children that's like oh my children yeah, don't yeah, exist so, yeah sorry yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly I mean there's so many different 
Yeah, you're. I mean, you're. You're absolutely right. You might It'd not be terrified. Yes, it would be terrifying. Be, it would be. He's like, oh, oh no! If I go into Subway and I buy a sandwich, am I going to set into motion a a, a butterfly wing that will murder my children? That's that's right. All you can think and, about. and absolutely. And I think that. And then you know, in, in this movie, they then they they have this. Uh, you know, this they brought something back from attorney, and I don't know if that would save them from the guys who knows i mean it's it's one of those things you never i never really thought about and of course that i think that they definitely left it up because i think when they finished it they thought it was going to be a huge hit that there was definitely going to be a sequel and of course there was never a sequel there is the post-credit scene of skeletor coming out of the pit absolutely so they knew so they knew absolutely they thought that it was going to be something more than I think it was, but uh, you know, it was it was, and even looking at watching it today, I, I still I it brings back so many great memories. I can remember sitting where I was when I was watching it. I mean, I used to know all the lyrics. I mean, all the um, you know the uh, dialogue, the dialogue, yeah. And uh, I just I loved that movie. It was just such a good, so so much fun and. Um, you know, and it's still still fun today. Yeah, so. it's not hard to see why. Like, you know, it is a it, some people consider it a cult film. It is schlocky, um, but th- there is just still kind of a like if you're looking for a good example of an '80s fantasy sci-fi flick in this kind of like B movie strata, like you can't you can't go wrong with this one. No, not at all. No, not at all. And I, I think, um, and you know, I always liked this one and Red Sonia were kind of my favorite B movie eighties type. And I don't know, um, you know, that was before uh, uh, Brigitte Nielsen and Flava Flav got together. But yeah, Brigitte, Brigitte Nielsen was uh, Red Sonia, and that was a good. That's another good movie. That if you're Looking for a fun uh, 80s movie to watch, go watch that. Yeah, the Conan movies kind of go in an interesting – so the original one, Conan the Barbarian, this is like an Oliver Stone thing. It's directed by John Milius. Yeah. Like it's – there's some art to it. It's still very like – it's a sword and sandals movie. It's an epic. It's it's There's silly things about it. Um, it's fantastical, but it takes itself fairly seriously. Then you get Conan the Destroyer, its sequel, which is much campier, much more tonally like this – and Red Sonia also in that vein. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, um, you know, I don't know. When you were a kid, did you watch any of those types of, do you remember any of those movies that you really, really liked a lot? Or did you watch any of them? You know, I, I, I certainly liked a lot of 80s fantasy stuff. Not these uh, particular ones. Like, I didn't see mm-hmm. Conan until I was much older. And I was like, yeah, I never got around to this one. Let me watch it. Um, so when I was younger, definitely never any story was a big one for this, for like yes. fantasy movies. Again, uh, Labyrinth. And uh, Princess Bride. I love Princess, Princess Bride too. Princess Bride's yeah. a little more of a fairy tale. Um, so it's I guess, slightly yeah. different. But yeah, I, I liked this kind of stuff. I think I probably tended to skew more sci-fi than fantasy back okay. then. And this is kind of right in the middle. Uh, but It I, like really I said, is. It really, yeah. And I yeah. love the cartoon. I just, for whatever reason, I never got around to this movie. Um, but I... Yeah, I I do like the genre because there is um, it's sort of it's this it's this just unique run. What I remember actually was not so much seeing the movie of Conan the Barbarian, but I remember 
going to Universal Studios as a kid, and they had like a Conan the Barbarian show. I I totally remember that. Yes, I saw that too. There was like a big like gold cobra head with like green lasers and stuff. Yep. 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 Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we both grew up in the L.A. area, so yeah, that was uh, yeah, I remember that perfectly. And that was something again that came to mind when I was watching this and going like, okay, not only does this bring me back to you know having yes, I've seen Conan. Um, I didn't see it as a kid, so I didn't have the nostalgia for it. But I, that stunt show, like, came right back. And, like, yeah, that's what this is. This, this, you know, um, you know, in another age, in another time, a deep-voiced narrator will bring, you know. Right, right. And I'm trying to think. I, I remember, I, I know that I went through old pictures the other day, and I saw a picture of me with He-Man and Skeletor and all these. And I don't know if that was at Universal. It had to be at either Universal or Knott's or, or uh, Magic Mountain or something like that. But one of them, one, one of those um, uh, amusement parks, yeah, they start, they had He-Man and um, it was, I remember it being so cool. I was, I loved it. It was very, very cool. Did So did you have a favorite He-Man character? Um, I was, I, I always liked the bad guys. So I liked Skeletor, um, definitely was my favorite. Um, in this movie, though, I think Evelyn is my favorite. I think she is uh, the the actress they used. Just her look and everything. I think she was awesome. Her eyes were so piercing and everything. Um, I really liked her a lot in this movie. That um, that kind of bad. But I mean, Gwildor was my favorite. But of the bad guys, I would say Evelyn was my favorite. I did like her. Um, she is sort of the. Uh... She's the true believer, right? Like she's his right hand yes. man and is yes. uh, every bit as dangerous as he is. Every bit. And she is and she escapes, which is why another reason why uh, her and Beast Man leave. They 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 don't get killed. And that's another reason why I thought, okay, well maybe there's gonna be a, a sequel. And I remember as a kid thinking there's gotta be a sequel. What happens to Evil Inn? What happens to Beast Man? What happens to Skeletor? But it never it was one of those things that was my first major disappointment in life, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. I don't yeah. know. But yeah. Yeah. My favorite characters, unfortunately, were not in the movie. They were from my favorite characters from the show were uh, I, Cringer slash Battle Cat. I always liked him. I was like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do uh-huh. that in this movie. And the answer is there's no budget to they do didn't. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they didn't. Like, no, gonna they, do? Paint they totally a ti- didn't. Yeah. We're going to paint a tiger <laughs> green and have dog ones and ride it. <laughs> It's not possible. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, and then my other favorite character was uh, Orko, um, who's really kind of cool and mysterious in the show, but also funny. But I think Gwildor kind of fills that niche that you would, you wouldn't really need two of those characters. So I, I can no, understand Gwildor, why he wasn't there. I mean, and, and Gwildor is such a great character. I, I mean, and C-3PO is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars, and Gwildor fills that that kind of same kind kind of quirky role of I think I think they've kind of there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, he's uh, sort of a fuss pot. He's kind of yes. along for the ride and not a formidable combatant. So they need no. him, but yeah. he's a potential liability because they have to protect him. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's not going to be killing anything. Usually, I mean, are rarely. Know, I, 
Rarely, if he does. He, yeah, he's more competent than three PO though. I think three PO is usually just kind of a damsel in distress for the most part. Yes, uh, you know, R two D two is the uh, the brains of that duo for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's true. But still, I mean, it's kind of the same. Uh, it's I the don't same know. There's, vibe. There's a lot of yeah, same vibe. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So. All right, so we're we're coming down to the end here. So uh, I'll ask you, uh, you know, why do you think it is? Because you're, you're not the only person who I think has a a big soft spot for this movie. So why why do you think it is that uh, people still love it so much? I think people of a certain age love it so much. I think people who are born maybe between you know in the in the very early eighties, maybe late late seventies. It was. It came out at the right time. It was at the right place. You know, uh, Barbies were so huge for girls, and and so He Man, and then GI Joe were kind of, you know, big for boys. And and in those years, you just kind of that was kind of you didn't. I mean, there really wasn't very. Today, kids have ten thousand different characters and things to 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 play with and those days there wasn't we didn't have the internet we didn't have you know we had vhs tapes and things like that so um you know it was i liked the toys and it was a it was such an easy uh depart you know kind of connection because i like the toys of course i'm going to watch the movie and um you know it was live action which i thought was really really cool so i think that the live action part also made it even better because it's like seeing if you you know if you like mickey mouse and then going to disneyland and seeing mickey mouse in real life or if you like the little mermaid and then going watching the little mermaid live action it, it humanizes kind of these these uh, toys and it brings them to life and this movie definitely brought them to life for me I definitely see that, you know, it does do things with these characters that the cartoon doesn't or can't. Yeah, you know, no, it uh, can't. It, and it also fills a niche that like, you know, we we were sitting around just now trying to think of like other movies that are sort of like this. And there's really not that many. And so, there really are. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're in the mood for this, this subgenre, um, you know, the, there's this is probably the last one chronologically I can think of. I can't think of any movies quite like this that are after 87. And this type of movie will never be made again. I mean, in, in the sense that, I mean, it is it is a time capsule that will never be reopened in cinematography ever again. So I think that also makes it special, you know, and, and makes it kind of, I feel like it's kind of ours, and because you know, I think we were both born in 1980, so it's kind of our, our, um, you know, our time and our, our movies. Our parents have their movies, our kids have their movies, but this is kind of our movie. This is our. Yeah, I think. You know. I think you know, for us, it's it's a fun thing to revisit. I think for for younger folks, it is like a bit of. Uh, filmic archaeology to say like, well, I'm going to go back and watch this thing from the eighties to see what it was like, but it's not something that would, they would otherwise seek out, but I would encourage them to give it a watch and, you know, just sort of, you know, don't hate it for the fact that it's kind of hokey because it's also sort of very earnest and you can just sort of appreciate it, you know, take it, just enjoy taking something at face value. (laughs) 
You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, but I'm glad. Yeah, but but it's a fun, it's a fun movie. And if people haven't checked it out yet, and you're you're born in eighty, eighty one, eighty two, eighty three, I mean, go go watch it. I mean, if you played with He Men, you got to watch it. And it's, it's great. And if you ever watched either the original cartoon, there was a reboot cartoon. He Yeah, has I mean, there's a lot alive to some degree. If you had any interest, I don't in that, know. Give it a shot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's still – is it still around today, He-Man, or not really? They did. Uh, yes, actually. There's a, so they did a revival not that long ago, well, and they then did. they did a okay. new rebooted one very recently. I want to say uh, maybe in 2022. Um, okay. Maybe 2021. Okay. But, yeah, there was a, a newer version of He-Man that Kevin Smith uh, was behind in some way. A cartoon. Okay, because I know G.I. Joe has been – has been rebooted. I know there have been modern G.I. Joe movies, but I wasn't sure. I, I haven't heard of He-Man, but okay. Yeah, it's, cool. it has been done. So there, there is still a market for people, maybe young people who have seen the more modern versions of this and have not gone back. Um, give it a watch. It is it is a lot of fun. Was, I will. I will. I'll have to. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to. All right. So uh, before we go, let me do a little uh, admin here. So if you like the show... Please go to wherever you found it, drop it a nice review, uh, tell your friends about it, um, you know, do all the things you do when you like a podcast. If you have feedback, uh, you can send it to us on Twitter at NostalgiumPod or find us at Nostalgia Marcano on Instagram, that we're on both places. Um, so just shoot us a message if you have thoughts on this episode, uh, our recent ones on uh, DuckTales or Saved by the Bell, uh, and we've got some cool stuff coming. Uh, we're still planning on recording that My So-Called Life episode, hopefully soon. Uh, I've got one, I hope we're going to do one on Rugrats, and uh, we're recording one soon on something that I had never even heard of, which was this uh, Showtime show from the 90s called Fallen Angels, which I'm really, uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you guys about because uh, I had never heard of it, and I'm really glad that uh, our guest for that episode introduced me to it, so um, look, be on the lookout for that. So, um, uh, Ryan, uh, thanks again for, for dropping by. This thanks, whole... Doug. I... Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. This was a treat, uh, as always, so. Um, thanks again, and uh, until next time, that is one more entry in the Nostalgium Arcana. Shira and I want to talk to you about something that's very personal, your body. Remember, it's your body and no one should touch you in a way that you feel is wrong. I'll get anybody who tries it. It's not that easy, Orko. It's hard for a young person to admit that he or she has been touched in a bad way. If you've been touched that way, don't be ashamed. Tell someone you trust, like your parents, your doctor, your teacher, or counselor, or your minister or rabbi. Right, Orko? Right, Orko!